This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Welcome to Amazing Grace for another week. I pray you will be blessed by our program today. Here at Amazing Grace, we would like to hear from you. Maybe if you have a question for us, or maybe you'd like to make a comment. Um, Maybe you'd like us to pray for you, or a family member or a friend. Um, And if you would like to do that, we'd be happy to hear from you. Um, now you can contact us in a number of ways, but uh, one other thing that we have is two free giveaways. Uh, we have the book Steps to Christ, or the Steps to Jesus. It's a wonderful little book about how to get to know Jesus better. And in fact, since knowing Jesus and trusting and having faith in him is the basis of salvation, we want everybody to know Jesus and to walk with him. And so that's one of the reasons that we're going to give this book away. But we also, um, we will be reading from it perhaps in a few weeks' time. Um, We have read through it in the past. I think a few years ago I read through it, but we'd like to read through it again just so that you can see how wonderful that little book is. No one is saved by by reading a book, but it just gives you some pointers. And, And look, to be honest with you, I read the book myself at least once a year. Um, try to read it more often than that because it's just amazing the things that you forget. Um, and it's not semantics. You know, so many important little points that it helps us to strengthen our relationship with Jesus. The other book is called Step, uh, sorry, it's called The Desire of Ages and it's about the life of Jesus. It's taken from the Gospels and it just it brings to life uh, the Gospels, talking about the spiritual truths that are behind what Jesus said and the things that he did while he walked around Palestine. So if you'd like to make a comment, or you'd like us to pray for you, or you'd like a free giveaway, um, you can contact us in a, a number of ways. The first way is through the station, um, and people seem to be choosing to do that the most, but... You can also contact us by email, and our email address is triple nine amazing grace at gmail.com. That is nine 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 amazing grace, and amazing grace is only one G at gmail.com. Or you can text or call us on 027 229 6624. That's 027 229 6624. All right, friends, let's start today's program with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to share with the people of the Manawatu and the surrounding districts. Uh, Father, we thank you that we are able to share the wonderful truth of salvation. Um, And we thank you that we can lift up Jesus to those that are listening and pray, Lord, for your blessing upon them and their families. And so, Father, we just pray for your leading and guiding um, today and uh, pray that people's lives, including the speaker, will be changed today and brought closer to you, we pray, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends, we are going to have a look at the importance of surrender. You know, when I first came back to the Lord in 2006, um, I spoke to a number of people in the church that I was going to, and (laughs) there weren't too many people that understood surrender, because when I asked people, I usually got a blank look, or I got some sort of stammering sort of answer that really didn't help me at all. Um, But I remember there was a a retired pastor, um, 
and he became a friend of mine I'm from from he was from Sri Lanka and uh, but he'd retired but when I asked him I actually got a reasonably good answer um, and certainly helped me to get on the right track you know I've read a lot of books on that subject and Andrew Murray um, he's a South African uh, that lived in the around about the end of the 1800s, uh, beginning of the 1900s, and uh, some of his stuff is probably the best that I have read on surrender, um, Andrew Murray. Anyhow, uh, we're going to look at that subject today, um, and you know we're going to look at the, the, the situation with Jesus in Gethsemane, and surrender is always a struggle. It always requires a struggle. The basis of every temptation is to go it alone in some way and depend upon self instead of upon God. And, and you know, the Bible says in Galatians 2.20, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. And I now live by the faith in the Son of God. And that's who we trust in, not in self, because the Bible says that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. And, you know, we may be able to um, act well for long periods of time, but we just don't know what we're capable of. And, you know, I, I used to doubt that when I first came back to the Lord. But I see in myself, and I don't trust myself, but I trust God. I trust in Jesus Christ, and I trust in his spirit dwelling in me and what he can do and through me, not what I can do. So we, it is inherent abilities were greater than ours. That's talk, talking about Jesus. Uh, so much greater was his temptation to rely on self instead of upon his father. In Gethsemane, he faced the final struggle of surrender. If Satan failed here, his kingdom, that's the devil's kingdom, was lost forever. So he worked extremely hard to get Jesus to work in his own strength. Notice the basis of the final temptation. Jesus seemed to be shut out from the light of God's sustaining presence. Christ had spent his entire life on earth in fellowship with his Father. Never once had he broken from that abiding dependence upon God. He had done nothing on his own, only through his Father's will. But now, so dreadful does sin appear to Jesus, so great is the weight of guilt which he must bear, that he is tempted to fear it will shut him out forever from his Father's love. And we know in Gethsemane, you know, Jesus was talking about, the, when he groaned and, and mo- was moaning about the pain that he was experiencing, he was experiencing separation from his Father, and he found that far worse than the crucifixion that he was about to experience. It was the mental anguish of being separated from his father who he had depended upon his whole life uh, up until that time when he was 33 years old. Satan had made it appear that the only way Christ could save humanity was to break from his relationship with his father. He had tried for 33 years to get Christ to rely on his own power. Now it seemed that the only way Christ could save us would be by going it on his own. For if he took our sin, it would separate him from God, the Father. Satan said to him, If you don't rely upon your own power now, you won't be able to save humans as you came to do. Sin is too offensive to God. He can't help you now. You've got to do it yourself, Jesus or fail in your mission to save humanity. But notice that the separation was only in feelings. In reality, Jesus was not alone. God suffered with his son. Angels beheld the Savior's agony. God separated from Jesus every beam of light and love and glory, but he was still there. And it was in surrender of the will to the Father that Jesus became a conqueror. Gethsemane and upon the cross Jesus relied upon the evidence of his father's love already given as in submission he committed himself to God the sense of the loss of his father's favor was withdrawn by faith Christ was victor surrender is the only way to victory that's why it sounds crazy doesn't it because in the natural world 
surrender. There's no victory in surrender, is it? It's it's like it's like a loss. It's funny how the spiritual things are total opposites um, to the things of the flesh. You know, um, we live by dying. I mean, dying to self. We we've become victors through surrender, and you know, there's many other examples I could use. But believe me, walking in the spirit is at total odds to what it is to walk in the flesh. And that's why the two are like opposites in a magnet. You try to get two magnets to to touch, they just won't. They are just polar opposites. And uh, that's why the only way that you can ever get victory in the spiritual journey is to surrender your will up to God and say, not my will, but thy will be done. Just as Jesus said in Gethsemane. And, um, you know, so many times it would be much harder for Jesus when you think about the fact that he had this power that he could have used. You know, he could have done any of those miracles in the time that he was here on earth in his own strength. He could have done lots of things. But he chose not to. He chose to rely upon the Father in the same way that we need to rely on the Father. And that's why Jesus is our perfect example, as it says in in the book of Peter, that Jesus is our example in all things because he, he surrendered his will. In fact, he said, I can do nothing except what the Father does in and through me, just as we can say too. You know, in fact, Jesus said in the Bible and in John that we will do greater things than him, especially those people living at the end of the time. And that includes you and me, friends. But if we do not surrender our will to God, then we won't be able to experience that. You know, as a Christian, my greatest times have been through greater surrender. When I learned to surrender, then I... I grow closer to God, and I'm able to do things that I couldn't do before. And so I'd encourage you, um, and not only me, but all of us here at Amazing Grace would encourage you to surrender your will to God. When I see my brother stumble and all his dreams crumble, let me be there, for I too fail. And when I see his heart breaking, from a wrong turn he's taking Let me be there For I remember well I want to spend my life, spend my life. Mending broken people I want to spend my Lord, let my words heal a heart that hurts. I want to spend my life mending broken I see a life that's broken Lord give me words that should be spoken For I well remember the pain And when I see teardrops falling Lord 
remind me of my calling. Help me restore their faith in you. I want to spend my life mending broken people. I want to spend my life removing pain. Lord, let my words heal a heart that hurts. I want to spend my life mending broken people. I want to spend my life mending broken people. You're listening to Amazing Grace here on Manawatu People's Radio. All right, friends, it's come time for the health tip of the week. And this week we're going to, for the final time for a little while anyway, we're going to look at um, dietary fiber. Now, I had a, had a question asked, can you eat too much fiber? Um, and the answer is, <clears throat> yes, you can, and everybody's slightly different. And some people, um, look, for a lot of people, ate my diet, the diet that I eat, which is very high in dietary fiber, they'd be rushing to the toilet all the time. Um, and I think what happens is, is that sometimes people change their diets too quickly, and that's one of the problems that people find themselves, you know, they, they can be constipated um, can be a problem for them and they, they change and immediately go for a very high fiber diet and all of a sudden they've got diarrhea. Um, and so we need to be just a little careful uh, that when we change our diet to a higher, more fiber diet that, that we do it, you know, gradually, that we don't go all off in one go. Um, so... What are some of the symptoms of perhaps eating too much fiber? Now, for most people, if like for me, when I eat too much fiber, all it does is it, it just gets um, it just gets washed out of my body. Uh, I don't actually have um, a side effect from that, but some people do. And um, so, what are some of the symptoms? We're just going to look at that um, irritable. Irritable bowel syndrome. If you experience diarrhea symptoms, then eating too much insoluble fiber can make symptoms worse, and that, that's true. Increasing your fiber intake too fast, this can lead to symptoms such as excessive bloating and gas. Increase your diet, sorry, increase your fiber intake slowly so that your body can adjust and drink more water as you go. Let me just use an example. I, I, I've got a friend um, who I once we went off and we were playing in a um, in a golf tournament and um, not not too far from here and anyway um, he was my partner and we were playing as a team in a um, in a tournament anyway one of the problems that he was having was that he was eating he started eating a lot of fruit um, especially at breakfast time. Um, so if he had cereal, he would generally have lots of fruit. And it was generally tin fruit. It was generally mixed like a fruit salad type of anyway. And sometimes he would actually just cut it up himself. Um, but this led to lots of fluctuation um, and you know, passing gas. And um, he, he found this rather embarrassing. And so he basically went off eating uh, lots of um, fruit. Now, I did say to him at the time, because um, I knew a little bit about it, even going back to 2005 this was, um, I said, you've just got to, when you change your diet, you've just got to do it gradually. You know, don't go from zero to 100 in one day. Um, and I said, the other thing about the body is that it does get accustomed to the 
the new diet, but you just need to do it gradually. And and so that I would say that for everybody. Um, so let me just before we finish today, let me just give you some tips for eating more fibre. Aim for at least five servings of vegetables and at least two servings of fruit each day. Um, that's what they say. I personally would say it was the other way around. I think you're far better to eat. Well, I, I personally say you'd be far better to eat uh, five fruit and two vegetables. But, you know, if you eat them in the raw state, you generally don't have any problems. You know, if you eat a fruit salad, obviously you're going to eat lots of different fruits, um, and some people don't handle that well. But, you know, if you were to have with your cereal, have a banana, or you have sliced peaches or something like that, you know, um, you would find that that would be good. The other thing too is that bread. It's almost like everything that we eat, we can just eat um, with with high with higher fiber. So when we when we select our bread, choose bread that has is high in dietary fiber. And if you look on the back, you will find that there will be a chart that will tell you um, how much. And so I generally try to choose bread um, that's around about. Higher than seven, anyway. But generally, I try to get around the eight and nine, if I can. Um, dietary fiber per, per serving. It also will have it in a hundred grams. But I just go always go by the per serving, and so I generally try to choose bread that's um, higher in dietary fiber, around that eight nine. Um, and if you do that, you will tend to just you know as you start adding these different things to your diet, you will find that uh, um, the, that your dietary fiber will, in, will increase without too many side effects. Um, you can also eat things like rolled oats, porridge, or muesli for breakfast, and, and that also helps because there's lots of goodness. Um, you can also add oat bran or wheat germ, um, nuts and seeds, and... Uh, as I've said before, um, fresh or canned fruit. But don't start off by eating a whole can of <laughs> of um, can. Don't eat a whole can of um, like fruit salad with your on the first day. Just add a little bit and just start building up. Also, things like chickpeas, kidney beans, or lentils to soups and casseroles, things like that. But you know, don't like fill them up on the first time that you ever do it. Um, otherwise, you'll find that. Uh, you may have some side effects from that. Um, remember, these side effects are not necessarily bad side effects, but a lot of people don't like passing lots of wind uh, when they're around friends and family, so uh, that can be a little embarrassing. So dietary fiber, can you eat too much? Yes, you can, um, but the main problem is that people increase too quickly. Uh, they go from zero to 100 in like one day, and then they wonder why that their body is reacting like it is. Just start... Slowly but surely, adding more dietary fiber um, to your to your diet, and you'll find that that uh, will definitely help you.
trophies and crowns My robe stained with sin T'was all that I had To lay at His feet Unworthy to feast from His table Listening to Amazing Grace here on Manawatu People's Radio. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. Welcome back to Amazing Grace here on Manawatu People's Radio. All right, in the second half of our program, we're going to continue to look at salvation or aspects of salvation. The name above every name. Philippians 2, 10 and 11 says that the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All power in heaven and earth centers in the person of Jesus. Everything we need in this world and in the world to come is found in him. Without Jesus, no one can hope to succeed. With him, failure is impossible. What other than the name of Jesus can cause people to live in peace? He was born in a stable and cradled in a manger. Yet around the manger and that precious babe, the whole world gathers and stops and listens to the angel song of peace on earth and goodwill to men. And all the world becomes tender and is drawn closer together. Out of the dimly lighted stable of Bethlehem comes the light that makes the hearts of people grow with a warmth that inspires them to the loftiest acts of which they are capable. The poor and the hungry are fed, and the homeless are given shelter, and the naked are clothed. Even the hard-fisted people wake up and become unselfish, sending good cheer into desolate homes of the unfortunate. It happens at once more we gather around that stable and sing songs of peace on earth and goodwill towards men. What other than the name of Jesus can co- <coughs> excuse me can cause people to die in peace? Millions of people have passed into the valley of the shadow of with the name of Jesus on their parched lips. 
And for them the valley has been transformed with light and glory, and the shadows have fled away as the sun of righteousness has lightened up their last moments with the replenished colors of the setting sun. Jesus, how wonderful and precious is the name. He is the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, and the Coming King. When we think of him who was born in a stable, died upon a cross, who divides the centuries in two, and is about whom all history revolves, who lifted empires off their hinges, turning the stream of time out of its course, and who at the same time binds up the broken-hearted and speaks peace to the troubled heart, may we not exclaim, All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. And that's why here at Amazing Grace we want you to meet Jesus Christ because that is the answer to whatever problem you have. It doesn't matter the problem. And you might not have problems at the moment, but let me assure you that at some stage, somewhere down the line, you will have problems. And it's only just a matter of time. And the answer to every problem is Jesus. How How can I be so sure that I can share that with you? Well, that's because I know, because I have experienced that in my own life. And Jesus is is the answer to every problem. And that's why we want to lift up Jesus on this program. And that's why we've called it Amazing Grace, because God's grace is amazing, because it comes through his Son, Jesus Christ. And when we meet Jesus Christ, our lives are transformed, just as I talked about doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, your life will be transformed, never to be the same again. Come when your heart is heavy laden. Feeling like the joy is faded Just come Come Believing everything I told you Here are arms that long to hold you Just come Behind the mask you're hiding Here is someone to confide in I know what you've done Come And tell me everything you're hoping The Father loves a heart that's open Just come Why didn't I so you Try to save yourself I know who you are Don't try to be somebody else Come Believe in everything I told you Here are arms that long to hold you Just come Into the joy of living, knowing that your sins forgiven, just come. Why didn't I so you could try to save yourself? you are, don't try to be somebody else Come When your heart is heavy laden Feeling like the joy is faded Won't you come 
You're listening to Amazing Grace here on Matawatu People's Radio. All right, in our last segment today, um, we're going to read from the book The Desire of Ages, which is about the life of Jesus taken from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we've got up to chapter 45, and this is based on Matthew 16, 13 to 28, Mark 8, 27 to 38 and Luke 9 18 to 27 and it's entitled The Foreshadowing of the Cross The work of Christ on earth was hastening to a close before him in a vivid outline lay the scenes whither his feet were tending even before he took humanity upon him he saw the whole length of the path which he must travel in order to save that which was lost Every pang that rent his heart, every insult that was heaped upon him, every privation that he was called to endure was open to his view before he laid aside his crown and royal robe and stepped down from the throne to clothe his divinity with humanity. The path from the manger to Calvary was all before his eyes. He knew the anguish that would come upon him. He knew it all, and yet he said, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. Psalms 40, verses 7 and 8. Ever before him he saw the result of his mission. His earthly life, so full of toil and self-sacrifice, was cheered by the prospect that he would not have all this travail for nothing. By giving his life for the life of men, he would win back the world to its loyalty to God. Although the baptism of blood must first be received, although the sins of the world were to weigh upon his innocent soul, although the shadow of this unspeakable woe was upon him, yet for the joy that was set before him, he chose to endure the cross and despise the shame. From the chosen companions of his ministry, the scenes that lay before him were as yet hidden. But the time was near when they must behold his agony. They must see him whom they had loved and trusted, delivered into the hands of his enemies and hung on the cross of Calvary. Soon he must leave them face to face the world without the comfort of his visible presence. He knew how bitter hate and unbelief would persecute them, and he desired to prepare them for their trials. Jesus and his disciples had now come into one of the towns about Caesarea Philippi. There were beyond, they were beyond the limits of Galilee in a region where idolatry prevailed. Here the disciples were withdrawn from the controlling influence of Judaism and brought into the closer contact with the heathen worship. Around them were represented forms of superstition that that exercised in all parts of the world. Jesus desired that a view of these things might lead them to feel their responsibility to the heathen. During his stay in this region, he endeavoured to withdraw from teaching the people and to devote himself more fully to his disciples. He was about to tell them of the suffering that awaited him, but first he went away alone and prayed that their hearts might be prepared to receive his words. Upon joining them, he did not at once communicate that which he had desired to impart. Before doing this, he gave them an opportunity of confessing their faith in him, 
that they might be strengthened for the coming trial. He asked, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Sadly, the disciples were forced to acknowledge that Israel had failed to recognize their Messiah. Some, indeed, when they saw his miracles, had declared him to be the son of David. The multitudes that had been fed at Bethsaida had desired to proclaim him king of Israel. Many were ready to accept him as a prophet, but they did not believe him to be the Messiah. Jesus now put a second question relating to the disciples themselves. But whom say ye that I am? Peter answered, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. From the first, Peter had believed Jesus to be the Messiah. Many others had been convicted by the preaching of John the Baptist and accepted Christ, began to doubt as John's mission when he was imprisoned and put to death. And they now doubted that Jesus was the Messiah for whom they had looked so long. Many of the disciples whom had ardently expected Jesus to take his place on David's throne left him when they perceived that he had no such intention. But Peter and his companions turned not from their allegiance. The vacillating course of those who praised yesterday and condemned today did not destroy the faith of the true follower of the Saviour. Peter declared, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He waited not for the kingly honours to crown his Lord, but accepted him in his humiliation. Peter had expressed the faith of the twelve, yet the disciples were still far from understanding Christ's mission. The opposition and the misrepresentation of the priests and rulers, while it could not turn them away from Christ, still caused them some great perplexity. They did not see that their rabbis, the power of tradition, still intercepted their view of truth. From time to time, precious rays of light from Jesus shone upon them, yet often they were like men groping among the shadows. But on this day, before... Before they were brought face to face with the great trial of their faith, the Holy Spirit rested upon them in power. For a little time their eyes were which are not seen, Second Corinthians 4.18. Beneath the guise of humanity, they discerned the glory of the Son of God. Jesus answered Peter, saying, Blessed are thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. The truth with which Peter had confessed is the foundation of the believer's faith. It is that which Christ knows himself had declared to be eternal life. But the possession of this knowledge was no ground for self-glorification. Through no wisdom or goodness of his own had it been revealed to Peter. Never can humanity of itself attain to a knowledge of the divine. It is as high as heaven, what can canst thou do? Deeper than hell, what canst thou know? Job 11.8 Only the spirit of adoption can reveal to us the deep things of God, which eye hath not seen, nor ear heard. Only the spirit of adoption can reveal to us the deep things of God. God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit, for the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and the fact that Peter discerned the glory of Christ was an evidence that he had been taught of God. I indeed the blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood had not revealed it unto, unto thee. Jesus continued, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The word Peter signifies a stone, a rolling stone. Peter was not a rock upon which the church was founded. The gates of hell did not prevail against him when he denied his Lord with cursing and swearing. 
The church was built upon one against whom the gates of hell could not prevail. Centuries before the Saviour's advent, Moses had pointed to the rock of Israel's salvation. The psalmist had sung of the rock of my strength. Isaiah had written, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a fountain, foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, Deuteronomy 32.4, Psalm 62.7 and Isaiah 26.16. Peter himself, writing by inspiration, applies this prophecy to Jesus. He says, If ye have tasted the Lord is gracious, unto whom coming a living stone, rejected indeed of men, but with God elect precious, ye also as living stones are built up into a spiritual house. First Peter 2, 3-5. Revised Standard Version. Other foundation can no other man lay, which is Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 3.11. Upon this rock, said Jesus, I build my church. In the presence of God and all the heavenly intelligences, in the presence of the unseen army of hell, Christ founded his church upon the living rock. That rock is himself his own body, for us broken and bruised against the church built upon the foundation that the gates of hell shall not prevail. How feeble the church appeared when Christ spoke these words. There were only a handful of believers against whom all the power of the demons and evil men would be directed. Yet the followers of Christ were not to fear. Built upon the rock of their strength, they could not be overthrown. For 6,000 years, faith has been building upon Christ. For 6,000 years, the floods and tempests of satanic wrath have been beaten upon the rock of our salvation, but it stands unmoved. Peter had expressed the truth, which is the foundation of the church's faith, and Peter now honored him as the representative of the whole body of believers. He said, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The keys of the kingdom of heaven are the words of Christ. All the words of the Holy Scripture are his and are here included. These words have power to open and to shut heaven. They declare the conditions upon which men are received or rejected. Thus the work of those who preach God's word is a saviour of life unto death or death unto death. There is a mission weighed with eternal results. A saviour did not commit the work of the gospel to Peter individually, At a later time, repeating these words that were spoken to Peter, he applied them directly to the church. And the same in substance was spoken also to the twelve as representatives of the body of believers. If Jesus had delegated any special authority to one of the disciples above the others, we should not find them so often contending as to who should be the greatest. They would have submitted to the wish of their master, and honoured the one who he had chosen. Instead of appointing one to be their head, Christ said to the disciples, Ye be not ye called rabbi, neither be called masters, for one of you is master, even Christ, talking about himself, and that's from Matthew 23, 8 and 10. The head of every man is Christ. God, who put all things under the Saviour's feet, gave him to be head over all things of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The church is built upon Christ and it's its foundation. It is to obey Christ as its head. It is not to depend upon man or to be controlled by man. Many claim that a position of trust in the church gives them authority to dictate what other men shall believe and what they shall do. This claim God does not sanction. The Saviour declares, 
All ye are brethren. All are exposed to temptation and are liable to error. Upon no infinite being can we depend for guidance. The rock of faith is the living presence of Christ in the church. Upon this the weakest may depend, and those who think themselves the strongest will prove to be the weakest unless they make Christ their efficacy. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm. The Lord is the rock, his work is perfect. Blessed are those that put their trust in him. Jeremiah 17.5, Deuteronomy 32.4 and Psalms 2 verse 12. And that's where we're going to leave it for today because we've just uh, run out of time. And I know that you would have been blessed if you'd listened to that Um Jesus is our all in all. Salvation comes by no other name. Salvation comes by no other person except Jesus Christ. And here at Amazing Grace, we would just love for you to accept Jesus Christ into your life. And if you were just to ask him to come into your life, he will come into your life. And it's not just a once in a lifetime that we do. In fact, we do it every day and I do it every day. And then I can be assured that Jesus will dwell in my life just as he will dwell in your life too. So friends, as we come to the end of our time today, um, we just want to remind you that those two free giveaways, the book on Steps to Jesus and that book we just read from, The Desire of Ages, um, remember we're happy to pray for you either on air or off air. Um, and you can contact us on our email address, which is triple nine amazing grace at gmail.com. So that's nine 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 amazing grace, and amazing grace is only one G at gmail.com. Or you can call or text us on 027 229 6624. That's 027 229 6624. All right, friends, let's just finish with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to share with the people here in the Manawatu and surrounding areas. Father, we pray for your blessing upon them. May they meet the Lord Jesus Christ, and I know that their life will never be the same. Father, I just pray that your spirit will draw each one of us to Jesus, and may we realize that if we want to have victory in our life, that we need to depend upon him and not upon ourselves. And so, Father, we just give praise and thanks to you, praying this in Jesus' name. Amen. So from all of us here at Amazing Grace, we pray that you will grow in grace. May the love of the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.npr.nz forward slash donate.